When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Luke Edwards of The Telegraph and our very own football editor, Mark Douglas. We discuss Steve Bruce, the season so far, the transfer window, Callum Wilson, Mike Ashley, the takeover, and just where is Henry Maurice? Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast, joined by our football editor, Mark Douglas, and the Telegraph writer, Luke Edwards, or should we say BBC Five Live superstar as well? What are we calling you these days, Luke? Just a multimedia, multimedia sensation. Um, no, I'm yes, I'm doing it for those who aren't aware. I'm uh, I'm doing a bit more work for the BBC now um, as one of their regular guests over the weekend, talking all things football, not just Northeast. Um, and there we are. Yeah, so I've not changed though. You got to keep, you know, got to keep your feet on the ground, don't you? Real. Uh, and you remember the little people, which is the main just, thing. Just, just still Luke from the block, basically. So, uh, <laughs> oh. Well, we're here to talk about Newcastle United, as always, and we'll kickstart with the transfer window. And I'll come to you first, Luke. A successful mm. transfer window for Newcastle United? I think it was a good window. Well, you have to put it into the context of what they had. And we all know that Mike Ashley wasn't going to let them spend any money they didn't have. So a lot of other Premier League clubs, when you sort of look around... I've spent money they haven't got effectively. They'll be paying in instalments. They'll be paying the future chunks of television money. So Leeds, for example, uh, even Fulham at the end, Arsenal, they'll all, they'll all be spending money that is effectively the next chunk of TV money. That's not the way Newcastle do stuff. So the budget was the budget. It used to drive Rafa bonkers. Um, but the budget was the budget. And I think we, in those parameters, I think they've done very, very well, really. I think to bring Wilson in for 20 million, 21 million, Looks as steel, really, when you look at some of the other deals that have been done for strikers. I think Jeff Hendrick is a steady Eddie. Can't argue with that on a free transfer. Um, we haven't seen the best of Ryan Fraser yet, but we never were really. He hadn't played since March. So, you know, we were never really going to see him at the best. Uh, and Jamal Lewis, I really like the look of, actually. Really promising attacking fullback. Um, and I think what the difference now we're seeing is you know, maybe the strength of the first team hasn't improved as much as people might have wanted. Although I do think Callum Wilson is a dramatic improvement in terms of the centre forward. But when you look at the bench now, there are genuine options to come on. Uh, you know, he took St Maximum off against um, Burnley and brought Fraser on and Fraser wins the penalty, which then leads to the third goal. You've got Almir on sat on the bench. We've seen, you know, we've seen a, a slightly better Joel Linton you know, who, who's adding something now playing in you know, with that pressure of, the, of not being the lead striker. He looks a better player all of a sudden. Um, it's just, you know, maybe they are a bit short. I still think in the centre of midfield um, and maybe still a centre-back light having let uh, Lejeune go. Um, but no, overall a, a decent window. And I just think the squad, and I think we have to look at it from a, from a squad perspective. I think the squad is a lot better now than it was when the window opens. So for me, yeah, it's, it's a good window. And, and the real the real key to it all was Callum Wilson. Mark, we discussed uh, on transfer deadline, your verdict. What I want to ask you is, given 
how the takeover collapsed and it didn't go through. Were you surprised to see Mike Ashley dip into his pocket so much and bring in the likes of Callum Wilson, who, when you look back at Mike Ashley's tenure, spending that much money on someone that old doesn't usually happen. Well, it's not his money, of course. It's more just him allowing that money to be to be spent. Um, I think they basically, they got to the point where if they hadn't have allowed that money to be spent, I mean, you know, it was, it was extraordinary really in some ways that they, that they allowed them to do it. A credit to Steve Bruce. I know, um, you know, he, he did make the, the case. I think he made a, a, a persuasive case. He worked with them rather than against them. And I think, you know, as, as I, as I sort of said on, on, on the piece on Monday, you know, I think there were times when he was fed up, he was annoyed, he was frustrated with, with how things were going in the transfer window. He felt that, I think the few times he did have to remind them that, you know, if they don't, if they don't do the business, then they will, they will have a relegation battle. So I don't think it was quite as straightforward as we may, um, you know, as it was maybe made out. Remember, we, we didn't see Steve Bruce at all in, in pre-season as journalists. We didn't get the chance to sort of have those little conversations that you usually have with managers where they let on that they're a little bit frustrated that he kept his counsel. Um, and eventually I think it, it became apparent that if, if you don't do this deal for Callum Wilson, there isn't a lot else out there that's going to add something that's actually going to keep you in the Premier League. And that was, I think, what it came down to in the end. It was a totally different kind of window. It wasn't one where they could afford to, you know, mess about a little bit as they have done in past windows. You know, I remember speaking extensively to Graham Carr in the, in the summer where they ended up getting Manu Riviere and he was, you know, it was, they wanted Lacazette. They were pushing for this player. They were pushing for that player. And eventually it was just this back and forth. And, you know, they always felt that, oh, well, you know, we've got enough to keep us in the Premier League and we can get him and there. And I think it was it was basically just a needs-must situation in the end. There wasn't a lot out there that they could do for the 20 million that would have added extra value. They eventually, it, it was clear that Callum Wilson was the player that he wanted. They looked at Ollie Watkins. They looked at players like this. They were a lot more money than, than Callum Wilson in the end. So... I, I, you know, I'll give them credit, I suppose, for doing it, but it's only what a normal football club would do anyway. You know, um, I think Wilson, like Luke said, is 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 the buy, um, and and you know, let, let's not give them too much credit for doing what a normal football club could do. But at the same time, it is a good buy, and um, you know, you have to give them some credit for that. You have to give Bruce credit for the way that I think he worked with them. He was smart. You know, showed all his experience. I think in some ways to work with them um, when I think it would have been easy for him to say how annoyed he was at the kind of, I mean, it was, they were only a couple of weeks away from the start of the season, bear in mind, when those deals were done. You know, he probably wanted the players in a bit earlier. He probably wanted them to do things earlier. Um, they didn't, he sort of kept, he kept things sweet and eventually the deals were done. So um, it was probably an experienced manager doing his thing and a hierarchy that eventually, I think, came to the conclusion that, yeah, we can't afford to take gambles, otherwise we are going to get relegated. I think the other things we just interject here is obviously, I mean, I've spoken to Steve and what fans probably didn't realise is he was offered other players by the recruitment. They were they were looking at bargains again. They were looking at players out of contract. They were looking at the foreign market thinking we can go and get this fullback for four or five million. Why do you want Jamal Lewis? Well, because I want Jamal Lewis. <laughs> because I've ident- I want him. He played in the Premier League. I don't want someone who's going to take six months, seven months you know, yeah, okay, we might be saving five million pounds, but what's the point? Um, so I think there were those conversations went on, and I think that Mark's hit the nail on the head there, where Rafa would have gone in, and it got him a lot of credit up here, and 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 probably rightly so. He would go to loggerheads with them, and he would battle with them, and he would fight with them, and then he would go public on it. 
Steve Bruce did it all in the background, all behind closed doors, didn't leak his, you know, leak any of this stuff while it was going on. And he's basically got the players he wanted on the budget he had. Let's not pretend that he's got the players he would have ideally wanted. He's got the players he wanted with the money he had to spend. And as I've said on social media, the problem at the end when they were looking at players like Ross Barclay and Loftus-Cheek was that they've got £200,000 a week of wages going out to players who aren't even going to be in the first-team squad. And that, effect, uh, you know, Lazar, Atsu, um, Aarons, even Yedlin now, really, as I've, I mean, he's probably third-choice right-back. So, you know, they couldn't... The way Newcastle work, and it's infuriating, we know, but they wouldn't let him spend that extra money on wages to bring the loan signings in because they didn't get rid of the £200,000 a week of excess wages. And... You know, maybe maybe a Ross Barclay would have elevated this squad, you know, again and maybe turned them into a top ten squad. Um, uh, but you know, they've done okay. They've done well. They've done well in the circumstances. And what we've seen is a manager approaching things slightly different to how his predecessor did. The other thing to note is the fact that you know Isaac Hayden, new contract, Carl Darlow, Andy Carroll also given an extension. Federico Fernandez before that, Shelby Ritchie, again maybe contracts handed out that possibly wouldn't have been done previously. Is that again down to Steve Bruce, you know, playing that game where it's not been aired in public? It is, if he's got grievances, it'll be to their face behind closed doors. What happened there, do you think? I think, I think what Steve Bruce recognised when he came in, it was, there was that core of players, wasn't there? Um, And it's a bit like, I mean, I was covering Newcastle when Bobby Robson was manager and he came in and he described Warren Barton, Rob Lee, Gary Speed, and Alan Shearer is blue chip brigade. It's it quite a famous quote at the time. He then spent the next two years basically <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating or two or three years getting rid of them all because that's the natural evolution of a team. I think what Bruce has done is he's fortunate that a lot of those are slightly younger. You know, Lascelles is younger, Hayden's younger, Shelby's still got plenty of you know year, you know in theory of plenty of years left. He spotted that core group that were that were effectively running the dressing room and knew exactly what it was to be a Newcastle player. They'd been here a while and it is a unique club to play for. It can be a difficult club to play for. He had that core of people in the dressing room and you could probably put Darlow in that as well. He's been here, a, you know, he's been here a long time now. And I think he recognised if you're going to play for Newcastle, you need to have a group in the dressing room who can block out the noise. And I know people don't like that phrase on, on social media, but it is a lot of noise around every single result. Um, and every single decision it's part of what Steve Bruce is all playing for a big club and it, and it is a big club we all know that so I think he's looked and he's got well, you might want to call it in in, in um, jargon or corporate jargon it's a leadership group he's he's got, given the leadership group uh, Dubravka as well let's not forget Dubravka he gave a long term contract to Dubravka as soon as he came in so you look at that suddenly Dubravka Hayden Shelby um, Darlow um, Fernandez. Richie Lascelles has got a long contract. He's looked at those and he's got that leadership group and they've all got nice long-term contracts. They're all happy. And they're not still, let's be brutal about it. Some of those players are the wrong age. They're not all going to be there for the terms of their contract, but they've probably got enough that they, the club as a business can probably command the transfer fee for some of those players if and when they want to upgrade them. Now, whether Steve Bruce gets the time to fulfil that vision or, whatever else he might not get five years. There'd be lots of people listening to this. I think it's absolutely ludicrous that we'd even be talking about a long-term plan. But as a manager, 
he has to have that plan. He has to believe he's going to be here. And I think what he's done is he's kept a core leadership group. He's given them contracts. He's kept them happy. And he will build everything else around that. Because they know that group have been through, you know, some of them have been through relegation. Some of them have been, most of them have been through promotion. If not all of them have been through promotion. And they know what it takes to play for this football club in the Premier League. And they're all Newcastle United players for the next three, four or five years. I think it's just good, sensible, pragmatic management. Steve Bruce made it clear that he wanted to have that Premier League core players who have experienced the Premier League and a lot of people point Mark to the fact as Luke mentioned there a lot of those players who are still there today and in the first team came up um, all those years ago with Newcastle and under Rafa Benitez but how key is that experience going forward when really you would say the best Newcastle can possibly hope for is to sneak into the top 10 priority is to avoid relegation so how key is it to keep that core together and that experience yeah I think I think the, I think the most important thing let, let's be honest fundamentally for Newcastle United at the moment is staying out of a relegation battle then if you can if you can move on in the next level that that's that's really what the club's about at the moment under this under this owner so I think for for Steve Bruce at the back end of last season he will have seen I mean you know I, I think what happens around Steve Bruce is this kind of narrative that he's, you know, he's deluded and all these things by certain people who don't who don't like him. But he's, he's, he's he was savvy enough to know that things were moving in the wrong direction at the back end of last season. So the reason I think that the Premier League core and the the, the idea of um, having an experienced core of Premier League players is so important to him is because the first thing to do is get the points on the board. They had a, a relatively easy start. They've got seven points on the board now. I would question whether they would have had those points on the board if they were if they had brought in three or four players who necessarily didn't know what the Premier League was about, who wouldn't have dug in at Spurs, for example, when things were going wrong, who maybe, um, you know, that Burnley game when Burnley came out. I mean, Newcastle, I thought, started really well on, on Saturday. Um, but Newcastle's players knew what it was all about to play Burnley. Um, we saw in 2015, 20, the 2015 season, um, that Newcastle probably brought in players who had better calibre in some ways than the players they've brought in this summer, the Vine Aldams of this world, Mitrovic, um, Mbemba, you know, guys who, you know, that was a really good transfer window in terms of the, the kind of players that Newcastle brought in, but they weren't ready. They weren't ready. And Newcastle were chasing their tails from the start of that season. And the reason they got relegated that year was because those players never got the time to bed in because so much was expected of them from right at the start. They were expected to be Premier League ready right at the start and they weren't. This this summer, you've seen that Steve Bruce has gone out. He's got um, Wilson, who's Premier League ready. The guy's got four goals already. You know, scores the penalty the other week. He's, you know, he, he knows what it, he knows what it's about. They've got seven points on the board. And the reason you want those Premier League, those players to be, uh, to have the Premier League experience is because Steve Bruce will have known that if things started badly this year and they could have done He's on, he's in trouble. The players are suddenly under a lot more pressure. The fans are, are are up in arms. The club then feels like a very very different place. And you know, I think it's savvy management. I think it's what Rafa wanted as well. Let's not let you know. Yeah. It's, Steve Bruce has got it. It's probably what Rafa wanted, but circumstances were just totally different. Um, but every manager, um, you know, go, going back as far as I can remember, Alan Pardew as well wanted this. Um, but Steve Bruce has got it, and I think you know as much as the performances haven't. Some of the performances haven't been great. For them to have seven points after four games is is pretty good. You know, it it, it gives them a platform. It means that suddenly you're not looking at relegation. You know, they can lose probably the next three or four, and they're still 
probably out of the relegation zone because seven points is a decent return. So it's savvy management. And and I think it's a belated admission from the hierarchy who are probably still looking at selling the club. Um, well, they are still looking at selling the club. It, it's 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 a it's an admission that if the club's out in the Premier League, then that's a lot harder to do. So let's just let it ride and, and let it happen for the next, um, you know, for this summer. And um, like Luke said, he's not got everything he wanted, but he has got that Premier League, that basis of Premier League experience, which is so important to keep them out of relegation because they'd lost a lot of players at the end of last season. They lost all the lone players. The team needed freshening up desperately um, and they managed to do it. Mark mentioned there the points on the board, Luke. Steve Bruce faced a lot of criticism after the Newport game leading up to the Burnley game. It was on paper, it looked like Newcastle had a decent start, the seven points um, out of 12 quarter-final place in the League Cup. It looks a decent start, but obviously social media and a few critics. What? How do you sum that up? I mean, was it unfair on Steve Bruce to be criticised for the style of play in the formation, etc.? No, I don't think it was unfair. I think um, I think they had an absolute shocker against Brighton. Um, and I think that was the hand grenade he described it as. Um and we have to understand, I mean, I've written about it this week in the Telegraph. I mean, I've described it as fake football. And I think, unfortunately, and I said this at the time, against that Brighton game, I'm just trying to provide a bit of context to, to, to the point I'm going to make, Andrew. Against Brighton, when they went 1-0 down, I don't see Newcastle with fans in the stadium conceding that second goal three minutes later. It's such an awful goal to concede because the defence have gone, they've just switched off. Like, the players have switched off. Brighton's have switched on. Um, they go 2-0 up, 2-0 up. There's no fans in the stadium. It just fizzles out, doesn't it? It just fizzles out into nothing. But the flip side of that is, against Tottenham, Tottenham probably go and score a second or a third goal if fans are in the stadium. But in the second half, Tottenham went, I ah, can't really bother this. This is quite easy. So we're just going to knock it around. We're just going to play the ball. And they, they, they just they, they dropped their intensity in the second half and actually got what they deserved because they panicked as soon as Andy Carroll came on. And what people haven't noticed about that game is as soon as Andy Carroll came on, Tottenham sat deep. They put players in front of and they basically just completely panicked about Andy Carroll because I think Mourinho knew his defence couldn't cope with Andy Carroll in the air. So it actually that last... That pressure that led to the handball had actually been building, and it was awful, that performance. Don't get me wrong. They didn't deserve anything from it. But that pressure had been building because of a substitution for five minutes because Tottenham panicked. And Mourinho knew his defence is susceptible to high balls into the air. And it led to a, you know it led to an undeserved point, but it's still a point. So, look, seven points is seven points. If, we, if Newcastle had played well in every single game and had three points and were knocked out of the League Cup, on penalties to Newport, it would be a hell of a lot of a worse start to the season in reality going into the international break than it is with seven points of being in the in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Football always will be... Sorry, that's my five-year-old in the background. Um, football always will be a results business. And I've watched loads of Newcastle teams play well and lose and managers lose their job going back 20 years. I can remember it all. You know, again, I'm going to bring up Bobby Robson. Newcastle played really well in those four games at the start of the season, didn't win any of them. He lost his job because after doing everything he'd done, it doesn't matter. Whatever he'd done before, they decided a change was needed. Um, so, look, it's a results business. It's, it's, it's a solid start to the season. It's a good start to the season. If I, I think that win over Burnley was huge. If they'd have lost that, then I think we could all quite feasibly say bad start, really worrying, really bad performances. And the performances, some of them have been terrible. Tottenham was awful. Brighton was awful. Newport was terrible for an hour. 
Um, so, you know, we can look at those performances and say they were bad, but it always comes down to results. And that bright, that Burnley game, just winning that, the way they won it as well, they were the better team. They were better than Burnley, if you look at the whole 90 minutes. Um, and they deserve to win. So, um, sorry, that feeling some, this is live. <laughs> this is actually live. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway, to make my original point, yeah. So, um, sorry, that's my five-year-old who's self-isolating due to uh, a COVID test. Um, I don't know whether that will go out or not, but it's fine to you haven't seen it, so that's fine. Um, yeah. So, look, we it, it's been a good start, a solid start. It's something to build on, as Mark said. You know, they come back with seven points. They can have a look at what is a tough run of fixtures. Now, they can go into those and think, right, we can have a go here. We don't, you know, we the pressure isn't so much on us. We can have a go. And actually, they did well against Wolves last season, didn't they? Um, mm-hmm. They did well against Man U last season at home. Man U, whatever state they're in at the moment. So look, we will know more. I always say, actually, you only really judge the start of the season after 10 games. So I'm not going to get overexcited by seven points from, from four. I'll see where they are sort of at the start of December. Uh, and if they still have seven points, then we can say it's not been a great start to the season. But they've given themselves a platform now to actually go on and have a genuinely good start to the season. Luke makes an important point there, doesn't it, Mark? It's a platform and Steve Bruce now needs to take that performance against Burnley. And, and consistency is the word there. It has to be more consistent because, you know, after that game, he said it'll keep some of the critics quiet for a while. And it's all good saying that, but then you need to make sure that you go out against Manchester United and perform and the games after that. Yeah, it's just been a really strange start of the season. I think, like Luke says, it's it, it's you know that, that let's not let's not kid ourselves that this is the thing that we we were we had last at the start of last season. You know, as journalists, we're now. I mean, I've not I've not been to a game. I've not been to a press conference because the press conferences are all over Zoom, and you don't get the same you don't get the same rapport with a manager that you do that you do when you're in the in the in the room. And I think a lot of the criticism that he's fired back at, which I think fans have read as criticism of them, is criticism of journalists. And he's journalists, he's, right? He's firing back at what he's read, what he's been told, and what he perceives as an unfair way of portraying him by journalists, not by fans. So when you see fans getting upset by what he's saying, I don't think that what he's saying there is about fans because, you know, he he will know what's being said on, on, on some quarters of Twitter, no doubt. But I think that managers have to, I think they have to take themselves away from Twitter because I like Twitter, you know, it's, it's been, I, I, I use it a lot. I'm, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody of being on there, you know, too much when I'm working and things. But, but managers can't, you know, football football managers and football generally cannot allow themselves to, to to pay too much heed to what's being said on Twitter because it is very reactionary, you know. Before the game on Saturday, what's that team about? What's, you know, what what's going on? What, what What's happening? And then they win and, and it, suddenly the narrative is very, very different. So I think, you know, it's really... It, it, it's more about for Steve Bruce feeling, you know, he's not being represented right by what's being written and what's being said. Now, I personally think that, you know, he's actually got in some ways, you know, a, a very fair um, representation last season. You know, I think that last season he, um, you know, what, what actually Newcastle did was portrayed in some quarters as being fantastic. And it wasn't that, you know, it really wasn't that. They, they, they weren't particularly good on too many occasions last season. But, you know, I think, 
as a as a general overview of what you know you have to take a bit of, a bit of distance because and you have to look at the performances and some of them and say we're living in strange times we're not looking at the same type of football the same type of product and the same you know performances that we can expect that, that we were doing before I, I mean i said it on monday what is football going to be like by the time we get to you know by the time we get to november december the players will have played a lot of games you know the performances are going to go down because they're going to be players in the red zone all over the place. We've got a stupid situation. We've got three international games coming up in the next <laughs> five or six days. A lot of the players in Newcastle are going to be playing against, actually, are going to have been playing two international games, you know, and it's exhausting for players now because it's not like it was before where they get the VIP treatment when they're going into games and grounds and stadiums and things. They're, they're actually sometimes, I mean, at Newport, they were getting changed in a marquee, you know they're going to they're going to a way. You know the international players will be absolutely fed up of what's of what's happening there. They're getting flown into these secure bubbles. I mean, you're seeing players breaking these lockdowns and stuff because they're, they're not interested. So I think as as fans and as journalists, we maybe do have to look at what's going to happen in the next few months and say it isn't going to be normal football. It, 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 you know, until fans come back in and until we're back reset where we are, which could be another year or two, potentially, we are going to get weird, weird situations. But I think as Newcastle United, it's even weirder because we're in this situation where the owner's so desperate to go. The manager probably knows that, you know, that the fans are not 100% behind him. So it's such a weird dynamic. So I think against that backdrop, you know, all we can say is seven points is fine. The performances are, are, are where they are. Fans calling for the manager to go, I'm sorry, but that's not going to happen. And so what do we do? How do we view Newcastle this season? We can either sit there and get really upset about the fact that it's not what we want it to be, or we can sort of say, let's enjoy what happened on Saturday. Let's enjoy the fact that Callum Wilson is a great number nine. I know he's not playing a number nine. Let's enjoy the fact that Alan Samaxon is playing well when he is. And let's complain when we can, when we do have to complain. But actually, let's get some joy out of it as well, because... If we're just going to pick up on everything this season, it's going to be a pretty long and horrible experience. It's not going to be perfect this season. It isn't what we want Newcastle United to be. Let's accept that and maybe just think when they play well like they did on Saturday, let's enjoy it. And they're in a League Cup quarterfinal. And, you know, let's dream. Let's dream. Look, they've got Brentford in a League Cup quarterfinal. Well, Brentford yeah. are a really good team. Brentford yeah. can beat them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Brentford could easily beat them. But they've got they've got Brentford in a League Cup quarter final. We, we've all wanted. We've all wanted. We, how long I've been waiting for a cup semi final mm. since 2004. So it would you know, be typical of Newcastle to get to a get to Wembley with no fans and play behind closed doors because oh, no, get to Wembley no fans. Oh, it's just sickening that. I mean, but having said that, you know, you'd, you'd say. I said this on on Twitter the other day um, before the Newport game and, and nearly nearly bit me bit me on the backside. But I said, "What would it would it detract from it if there weren't any fans in there?" And like fifty percent were saying, "Of course it would." But fifty percent were saying, "Look, if we win, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, if we win that cup, it's, it's us winning something." Good luck with um, social distancing. Yeah, good, good luck with social distancing and pub staying shut at ten o'clock if they win something. By the way, if that, not, not hopefully that will be long gone, long gone and yeah. forgotten by the time we get there. Well, also another thing I will say about the cup competitions is, look, people are saying this is one of the things about lucky. Uh, you know, he's a lucky manager, and I certainly said that on social media. He has been incredibly lucky with the cup draws. I actually heard some fans, you know, people I respect. Um, 
uh, Alex Hurst was one of them from from the Supporters Trust and True Faith editor was saying, oh, well, what's the point? Because as soon as we play someone good, we'll lose. But that was the Ashley argument for years. Like, what's the point? Because as soon as we play one of the big teams, we'll lose. That's why they didn't bother trying in the cup. So, look, Newcastle made losing to lower league opposition in cup competitions yeah. a habit. It was what they did in both cup competitions, League Cup and FA Cup, for I think the best part of a certainly pop a decade. I think mm-hmm. apart from that one run under, well, there was Pardew, wasn't there in in the Europa League, and there was uh, Benitez in the quarterfinal of the of the League Cup um, when they lost to Hull. Um, so look, this just enjoy it for what it is. They're, they're, they're progressing in the cup. They're into the last eight. They've they've done. One of the things that we have been wanting them to do, it's not perfect. There's a lot to criticise. There's a lot to worry about. There's a lot we can pick holes in. There's a lot not to be happy about. But being in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, really, doesn't matter how they got there, they're in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. That's something, from my point of view, some might disagree, it's something we should be happy about. Do you think Luke... It's weird atmosphere at the moment. Sorry. I'll just say very quickly, it's weird atmosphere at the moment because... I, I found on, you know, commenting on things this season, and because there's nobody in the ground, you're not we're, you're not really getting the chance to, to bounce your ideas off other, your mates at the, at the no. ground. I sometimes have this when I go to the, to Bradford games, you know, you kind of like, you, you chat to your mates about the match and you're like, and sometimes it's like, you kind of talk yourself down from maybe the position you're at at one point. But as journalists, we're not getting the chance to sort of, go into the press room and sort of say, like, is, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And, is that and, you missing me, Mark? Is that what you're saying there? Is that because you're missing you know me? Do you know what? <laughs> I, I never, I, this is emotional. This is I Mark. This is Mark admitting I'm, I'm, I'm missing Luke. I'm missing never, Luke on a match day. Match day, I Luke. never thought I would say that, but yeah. I mean, it, I think it was Miles Starf that said it to me as well. And that is, uh, that's a sign that he must, you know, that, that, that we must be missing each other because Miles Starf would never say that in public. <laughs> um, and I would never say it to you in public either. Um, but it, oh my god it, it's like the Saturdays you kind of like you're realising that, that that thing that you just thought was so annoying Luke's voice at the back of the press room just, just announcing his arrival and knowing that you were just going to get a torrent of 20 minutes of just all your articles and tweets repeated back to you in a mocking voice you know like the, the things that I just hated wouldn't that be fantastic Chris um, Wolf of the Athletic loved it. They used to, they used to, you know, they used to wait, wait, you know, the anticipation of my arrival when I would just go through yeah, the week. I think the it was more here watch. he comes again rather than <laughs> hanging the band. But I always enjoyed how you reminded me that you used to be Mark's boss. That was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like to mock Mark. That's one of my favourite sports. Yeah, but no, what and again, no, but what we're saying about journalists, I think he's repeated for fans. And Mark makes a brilliant point there. Like going to the match used to be part of a day out, didn't it? it, it and actually. I don't want to name check loads of journalists, but Scott Wilson of the Northern Echo said it to me. He said, you used to go to the match, but it was 90 minutes and actually the rest of the day was really good fun. So even when the, even when the team played really badly, you'd still had a day out. And I think it just quieted things down. It also made the highs that much higher because you got to celebrate with your, your friends and, you know, Burnley, what would town have been like Saturday night? Oh, yeah. You know, what would the atmosphere, even though it's Burnley, Newcastle, Saturday night, the town would have been absolutely jumping after that game. The bars would have been packed at two o'clock. All of these fans would have gone to the game and then they would have had this real great, enjoyable experience. Now, it's like you just sit in front of your television. We go to the stadiums, but trust me, if you go to the stadiums, it's pretty awful. Um, 
And, you know, and then it's there and they're on social media. So it's like, oh, I'm going to say something from social media. Whereas normally they just turn to their mate and one of their mates will like, go, oh, all right, calm down. Or, yeah. or they'd whip each other up into a frenzy. But it would be contained within your friendship and social group. And then you'd forget about it and go out for the night. Now it's like the football, there is no joy around the football, regardless of the result. And that, that's what's Spurs, causing a problem. Spurs away is a perfect example of what, in my opinion, you know, that, 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 after the result, the, the reaction after that game by a lot of fans was sort of like, oh, we played so badly and stuff. But I could imagine if there were 4,000 or however many fans. Imagine the celebration. The, the atmosphere, and they would have been just like, yes, we've, you know, Andrew, I'm sure you can you can you can bleep this out, but we shit housed it and we yeah. love that. And that's Give what, it to the Spurs fans in their fancy new stadium. They would have loved it. Have some oh, of that. Not there, is it? Because you, no. you you just watch it on TV and it's a bit like, oh, you know. And I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, I, I've I've watched all the all the Bradford games. I don't know whether you've managed to watch the late Orient ones on an iFollow and stuff. And it's just such a weird experience, you know. Like you, you're watching your team score, and then like the players are sort of semi celebrating, but you know <laughs> that it was a full stadium. You know, I mean, the, the noise on Saturday when St Maximin scored that goal would have been incredible. And to be fair, he he celebrated, and that was great because he's one of the few players that's bringing you joy at the moment in watching football. But it's just a grim experience. And Callum Wilson, the second goal, when they do the fist bump celebration, that was in front of the Gallagher end. They'd just gone 1-0 down. And not, sorry, 1-0. And then they go, to, and then it's like five minutes later. It's a really good goal. Callum Wilson yeah. scores it in front of the Gallagher end. He turns around and he's just like, oh. Yeah. Imagine what that would have been like. Imagine what he would have felt, and which is why he came to Newcastle. We said it in his opening interviews. He said he remembers being on the pitch, playing for Bournemouth when Newcastle scored, and him just feeling the noise and looking yeah. around the stadium, thinking, "God, I'd love to score goals here." And and and, and look, Callum Wilson's been great. I'm just I'm just saying what we've had taken away, and even that great magical moment of of going two one, it was great. But there was like a little. There was a fist bump and a little hug. Mm. And it's like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, that's not what should be happening. That was even that was his first goal in front of the Gallagher end, I think. No, did he score? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I think it would have been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like that was everything he dreamed about and why he signed for Newcastle. And he celebrated it with a oh cheers. Brilliant. And it was he was happy. So it's not the same. It's not the same. So Luke- so just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything Is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening. Do you think Steve Bruce got caught by surprise perhaps at the negativity over the last week or so on social media and some of the stuff written, do you think it caught him off guard a little bit? I've never know with Steve because I think he uses it. I think I've, I think he quite, if you, if you read, um, there's an interview with, which George Colkin did with him in the athletic, he's had to fight his whole life. He was told, he's been told he wasn't good enough pretty much for his like, you know, his, his football journey is one of being told he wasn't good enough. You're not good enough to play professionally goes to Gillingham. Oh, you're going to be at Gillingham for a while. He goes to Norwich. Then he goes to Manchester United and gets all the success and, you know, is a household name. So I don't think it caught him off guard. I think sometimes he's surprised at how poisonous it is. But that is the world now, I'm afraid, on social media. 
look, I've had some pretty poisonous abuse. I know Mark has recently. Um, people say some pretty awful things now and think it's acceptable. That that barometer of acceptability is completely all over the place now. And, and I don't quite understand the way the world's gone and the way that people think they can speak to strangers. So I think he gets... He gets told a lot of what's said on social media, I think, sometimes by his kids. And I don't know if that's particularly helpful for him, actually. And I think he has a problem with some of the stuff that's written in the press. I think he re I think he's made aware of that by people at Newcastle. So my argument would always be to block it out. But I don't actually know if he wants to block it out. I think he wants to use that to fuel himself. And I think he uses it to fuel the players as well. And I think Jamal Lascelles is very good at that as well as a captain. I think Jamal Lascelles and that leadership group, to go back what we were talking about, they know what's coming when Newcastle lose. And Christ, they know what's coming if Newcastle lose and play badly. And they know what's coming if they lose three in a row. They know what it's like. They know what's coming their way. They know what's going to be said about them. They know what's going to be said on the radio phone. They know what they're going to read on social media. And I think they almost harness that. And I think Steve Bruce yeah. is beginning to learn that actually, if he comes out and has a bit of a dig at people, and I thought he's perfectly entitled to have a dig at people or the other day in his press conference, because we've all said stuff, me included. I've criticised him. I called him a lucky manager. He hated that question in the press conference. Um I think he uses that and I think the players see it and I think the players are like, yeah, good on you. Yeah, because that's how we feel as well, actually. And we finally got a manager whereas Rafa was colder and less emotionally invested in anything, but he didn't like criticism. Trust me. We, we know anyone who's been in one of Rafa Benitez's is off the record briefings where you'd written something vaguely critical and you're there an hour and a half later and he's still talking about it. But Steve does it in an emotional way because he's more of an emotional manager. I don't necessarily think it's a... It's just a different style of management, but I think he he does get stung by it, but then I think that draws a reaction which isn't necessarily in the context of being Newcastle manager, a bad one, because I think it's working, because I think even last season when they were getting abuse, they tended to respond with a reaction, a positive one. Just finally on Steve Bruce, Mark, before we head on to the dreaded and final subject of the takeover. If Steve Bruce, and hypothetical, of course, wins the League Cup, do you think he'd be accepted by more Newcastle fans than he currently is? Surely, yeah, surely. If if he, if he wins something, you know, you think of all the great managers, like the world-class managers down the years who've not won something. Steve Bruce wins something and suddenly, yeah, I think he buys himself, um, you know, he's, he's, he's immortal. <laughs> he's immortal, isn't it? Was it Alan Pardew once said to us about winning winning something? He said he would be made Freeman of the city, and he he's like, I want some of them cares on their on their tear more or something. Oh, one of those. Pardew would openly talk like that as well. That's that's the yeah. probably different. No, I think you'd have to you'd have to say if you won something, then that would be you know, you know that would be fantastic. And and you know, look, this is a weird season. You you, you just don't know what what could happen if they get into the semi finals. And like I said. Top clubs have players injured and things. You just don't know what could happen. But I think he's got, I think he would be, yeah. I, I think, look, the, he's never going to be, I think I, I think I saw somebody say, and I thought this was this was exactly right. Is he a world-class manager? No. Is he, um, is he like as bad as, is he useless? Is he joking here? No. He's somewhere in the middle. And is he, you know, like, when you see some of the other teams in the Premier League, sort of, I mean, I, I made the point, some of some of the teams are really evolving. You've got Leeds who've come in and look absolutely fantastic. You've got 
um, some of the other teams evolving, like trying to play a different way. Everton have obviously come in and, and done that as well. And the question for Steve Bruce is, can he evolve Newcastle into a, a more a more pleasing team on the eye, a team that wins games? The jury's still out. They've played two games, I think, this season, West Ham and Burnley, where I've enjoyed watching them play. They've played three games where I've not enjoyed watching them play. But, you know, the jury's still out. But I think the problem is Steve Bruce is not what Newcastle fans are, what, not what a lot of Newcastle fans kind of see their club. And not because of his CV and where he was before and what he's done, you know, where he's been and his win record in the Premier League and things like that. But he's not what Newcastle fans necessarily see their club as aspiring to. You know, they they, they want, and, and I think they have a, they have a right to feel that way as well, given the given the recent history. But he's also not as bad, you know, as people make out. And I've always sort of said that, like he's a very competent manager. You've got a dressing room there full of, you know, very good, like I think a lot of very good Premier League players. And it's funny, you know, when I think Lee told me this, Lee Ryder told me this when he was out in China, when 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 um, Steve Bruce got the, when Steve Bruce was going to get the job, there was three or four of the players talking and Lee was chatting to them. I'm sure you won't mind me saying this. They said, well, what do you think of Steve Bruce? And they were all like, yeah, you know, won the Premier League with Man United, you know, top class, you know, great, great manager. We hear really good things about him. And it's like the perception of maybe where we as journalists and as fans think of Steve Bruce. He's not what the game thinks of him. You know, who's even Players Mourinho, like him. Players yeah, like him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember Jamal Lascelles and I'll name check Jamal Lascelles. Exactly the same. Sat in China. I was out in China. And I remember Jamal himself going, you know, he said some nice stuff sort of on the record and then off the record. He just went, oh, I'm absolutely buzzing. You know, like I've, everyone I've spoken to in football says, yeah, good good bloke, good manager. And it was like, oh, okay. I think Matt Ritchie actually, I won't name the journalist involved, but Matt Ritchie actually had a massive go at a journalist out in China because he said, oh, he's not good enough. He shouldn't be anywhere near the Newcastle job. And Matt Ritchie absolutely exploded at mm. this journalist who I'm not going to name because it would be unfair and they might talk about it one day in the future themselves absolutely exploded at him mm. and was like going you know nothing about football if you knew anything about football and it spoke to people within the game so look Mark's right jury's still out with Steve Bruce he said you know I'm not going to sit there and say Steve Bruce is a world class manager he's not he hasn't done anything to prove he's a world class manager he hasn't done that I've never said that but the jury's out with him. He's done a solid job up to now he's done as good a job as I thought he could do last season in reality um, now we want to see it evolve. We want to see it improve. He's talked about that. Let's see where they are. Let's see how they get on. It's been a solid start to the season. We'll go back to that. He's given them a platform to try and prove that the team can evolve and it can improve. So let's see where they go. Don't know where they're going to go. And now we can talk about the takeover, which I'm sure everybody's <laughs> waiting for. I've got lots of thoughts on the takeover. Can you can you guess the first question I'm going to ask you, Luke? I know it's one you get asked quite quite often. No, I'm admiring your feature wall in your house at the moment, which is very, very <laughs> nice, very nice red. But you weren't expecting that to be fired back at you, were you? Okay, come on. Yeah, hit me with it. The question is, where is Henry Maurice? <laughs> oh, God. Where's right Henry? Right I spoke to someone around that deal and unbelievably, right, okay, this is God's honest truth. Apparently, the lawyers, his lawyers or legal team are still talking to... Uh, to Ashley's legal team, the person I can't name actually said to me, God, it's boring. Like, you know, it's like you're supposedly everything that we were told in the summer was he was good to go. The money was there. And that once he got the green light, it would all be done and he was ready to go. And it would you know, be a really quick, easy deal to do. 
he's still talking, and and quite frankly, I've, I've, I'm 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 not taking it seriously anymore. You know, I reported what I knew in the summer. He was interested. He wanted to buy it. He believed that it was going to be done in a few weeks. Well, it hasn't been done in a few weeks, but but my information is he is still trying. So make of that what you will. If he was trying that hard, my personal view is it should be done. You know, I, I file. I will file into the category of somebody who said they wanted to buy the football club. Uh, spent a lot of money on legal lawyers and talking and conversations and all that sort of stuff, but it hasn't gone anywhere, has it? So let's file under. I'm not going to say he's never going to buy the football club, but I can't see it. I mean, if it was going to be done, it'd be done by now, wouldn't it? So no, I, I can't see it happening. Of course, Mark mentioned the other day in the podcast. The only game in town it was the Saudi. What did he know? <laughs> I, I was going to ask Mark. The, did you see the tweet from Nick DeMarco oh about the dread God, yeah. and the, the fallout? And it, for me, that just sums up Twitter and you know the, the fan base on Twitter that we are so wrapped up in this, looking for any sort of hint of positivity towards not, you know a takeover to, the, to that bid. It's it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because because when I read <laughs> when I read the the reasoning behind people getting excited about it it sort of seemed a little bit plausible. And you sort of thought, and this guy, like, like this guy, Nick DeMarco is not, um, he, he's, he, let's put it this way. He's, he's already quoted a couple of things that people have written about him, positive things that people have written about him. He's clearly watching what's being said on Twitter. And I wonder if he has thrown in a, a Newcastle brown ale bottle there as a, as a little, um, as a little sort of message to fans, but, but look, it's not anything serious. I can't believe that anybody would sit there and think that he's telling them the takeover is going to be done in two weeks time. And this message is his sort of way of communicating. I mean, that's clearly not, not the truth. I mean, he's clearly having a bit of fun, I think with, with Newcastle fans from that perspective, but I mean, God, we're surely not at the point where we're, where we're I think most fans to be fair, like, you know, they might have said, "Oh, look, there's a little bit of a message in there," and and then I think a lot of fans were just sort of taking taking it on from there. But that is the problem, isn't it? That is the problem is that there's been so many things said, so many things done in this kind of whole takeover window that that you know people are like, what we could really do with is is an honest message of like which which admitted the failures of what had happened over the summer. And the Premier League, to be quite honest and open about where this, where all this is at at the moment as well, because you know, the problem is that I can I can sit and tell you it is the only game, and I, I still feel that I still feel that there will it will come back at some point. There will be some more a flurry of something or other. But whether that means that it actually happens is is another thing. Now, look, they're very wealthy, very very. Um, very powerful people involved in this bid and they've obviously not taken the rejection particularly well. So I think that, you know, there is clearly, you know, clearly something there. And the fact that Mike Ashley is taking legal action surprised me because I did, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and I said that from the start, I wasn't expecting that. But um, in terms of where it goes now and when it goes now, we, we, we just don't know. But as I said the other day, I, I still feel there's another, there's more road in this. Um, frustratingly really because I think we'd all like it to be to be to be nowhere. Um and when you sort of see people, you know, some people pretending that they know a little bit more on Twitter and, and that's not, you know, that's not journalists, that's, you know, kind of people claiming to be in the know and all these things. It's like it's not fair on a lot of people who are really invested in this. 
because I don't think that anybody knows. And it's not fair to say that anybody knows exactly what's going on. I think even the people who are being very heavily briefed by um, the buy-in side would, would say they don't know where it's going to go now. So that's the uncertainty. But yeah, that, that tweet was, I just I thought it was funny. And I think most fans saw it like that. Apart maybe one or two thought that it was a message and it had some kind of coded message in it. But what was the coded <laughs> message? You know, that he liked bread. I mean, you know, it's a bit difficult to kind of go too far. I don't think there was a takeover. Here. We know we know what he's doing. He's currently preparing some arguments that, that may or may not see the light of day in court. At the moment, there's legal claims between the two teams, but it's not gone any further than that at the moment. So where's the takeover? You know, I think the, are they saying that he knows more than anybody else? Well, clearly not, because if it was going to happen we'd definitely be getting word from the PIF side that it was about to happen um, because they did that all over the summer and they haven't done that. For those who haven't seen the tweet, Nick DeMarco is the barrister employed by Mike Ashley and Newcastle United in the dispute with the Premier League. He basically cut up some bread, bottles of brown ale in the background and a bottle of black and white champagne. Would have been better if there was a Sports Direct mug in the background, perhaps. It was just, I mean, whether he did it deliberately, I don't know. I, I have my suspicions on that, which I will keep. Keep, uh, I will keep to myself. Oh, what? Regard. No, I, look, <sighs> celebrity lawyers, isn't it? You know, we had we had some celebrity lawyers over the summer as well. Fan fan lawyers over the summer who, who seemed to ridicule journalists for what they were reporting on stuff based on legal alignments. But let's not go down that route either. Um, okay, look, takeover. It's going to start up again. Guarantee it. Brace yourself, my friends. Brace myself. Brace yourself. I think. It will fire up again, I would say, before Christmas. Um, I think we will start to... There'll be some leaks, I think. Whether it's going to happen, don't know. Don't think so. Um, but I think we will We will see a little wave of takeover stuff will start again. I don't think the characters involved can resist it. I don't think they can stop themselves. So um, Let's wait and see what happens. I, I'm actually quite enjoying the fact, I have to say, that it at least is this time. I'm hearing little whispers, but none of it's for publication. Nobody's leaking anything. There is stuff going on. They're having meetings. Um, and we kind of knew that would be the case. Now, I think what the clever move by Ashley's legal action was, and this wasn't said about the time, it actually shut everything up, didn't it? Because I think the buyers suddenly went, all right, he's taking legal action against the Premier League. Well, there's no point us doing this public stuff anymore. We'll just wait and see. So there is stuff happening. You know, I know, you know that awful GIF, 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 you know that one? So you're saying there's a chance. Do you, you know that one with Jim Carrey? Yeah, this, is, this is the podcast equivalent of me saying, so there is a chance. Yes, there is still a chance. Um, you know, we knew there was still a chance in August when they withdrew and then immediately said that it could still happen, the buyers, I mean. So there is still a chance. I would just try and forget about it. That's my only bit of advice is try and forget about it. We are managing to do that in the media now and just be braced that if it all does start again, don't be lured into the hashtag can stuff. Don't be lured into the, it's going to happen. Just wait and see. And if it happens, wonderful, brilliant. Let's all just celebrate then. Let's celebrate the end of Mike Ashley. Let's think, you know, let's talk about what happens with Saudi Arabia owning a football club and all the moral dilemmas that bring. Let's talk about it then because we've had enough of it for six months and I know takeovers get everybody excited and we want to talk about it. I see Andrew looking at me going, you're killing me here. This is, this is, you know, this, <laughs> no, this is what we want to talk you. about. 
But just forget game. about it. Try and forget about it. And if it happens, it happens. And I know that's easier said than done, but just be braced that there'll be another wave of in-the-know people will start coming out the woodwork again anytime soon, is my prediction. The last time you were on the podcast a few months back, you did make the claim that if it wasn't the Saudis, you thought that my would be gone by the end of the year. Um, yeah. Could still be true, couldn't it? Madden? It could still be true, Muzzy, that. We're not at the end of the year, are we? No, no, I'm saying, do you, do you still believe that will be the case? Because he's, he's back, isn't he? And he, he seems to be enjoying himself. I mean, maybe there's no the problem, fans the there. The problem we've got at the moment is as long as the Saudis are there, nobody else is realistically going to try and buy them. Now, there is a lot of interest in, in clubs at the moment, English clubs. There is a lot. It's, it's fired up again. Because um, they've got a new round television deal about to be we've negotiated fairly soon, haven't we? I think the Saudis' presence scares everybody else off. Is the reality? Um, so whilst they're still at the table, and they are, we are led to believe still at the table until it's rejected. But again, that's what the legal action will do, wasn't it? From Ashley, a- Ashley could clear. Ashley could either sell the football club. These are the, these are the options when he takes the legal action. He either sells the football club to the Saudis or he kills it forever and they can't come back. So people have to work out in the mind I'm doing my, but you know, the mind of Mike Ashley is pretty sharp. So he's in a win-win, I think as far as he's concerned, he's spending money. It's not a huge amount of money for him. He either sells the football club, gets his 300 million walks off into the sunset or he ends this takeover talk. He ends the buyers. He ends the confidence. He ends the speculation for good. So, I think that is why he. We get that. I think that is why his motivations for go, to going to court were actually. It's as much about as okay. I either get this through and I get my money, or I finish this for good and Newcastle is able to move on. I'm able to move on, and we can start talking about other things. Because let's face it, if he didn't do that, and I still think we will get a flare up of it, but I just don't think it'll be as strong. That talk was going to continue for perpetuality effectively you know Stavely wasn't going to give up she would keep coming back we know how she does business we know about the leaks we know about the public pressure that's created so he's quietened it all down and again he might sell it might be gone might be all but he's going to bring it to he's going to end it one way or the other and I think he needed to do that personally well there we have it ladies and gents thanks for tuning in Mark Luke thanks for joining us Uh, to those listening please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast